are in the series, God Never Said That. This is week three. We have one more to go after today. And what we're looking at today is God Never Said That. It doesn't matter what you do. Mm. God never said that. And yet that sentiment creeps into our thinking. And there's the common misunderstanding that goes something like this. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anybody. Or there's the religious version. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anybody and you ask for forgiveness. <laughs> or the religious version that just says, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you ask for forgiveness. But God never said that. We're going to look at a tough topic together today. Parts of it are a little heavy, a little controversial. Here's our focus for today. The story of humanity is a story of sin. And the story of God is the story of his rescuing grace. Now here's where the controversy is, because a lot of people don't even like to talk about sin. Some people don't even believe that there is such a concept called sin. But we're going to talk about sin today, and there's a controversy there, and we're going to talk about God's rescuing grace today. Now, that's all we said, this focus, we've said a lot. So I want us to kind of get this kind of inner thinking a little bit. So let's say this together out loud. Let's read it off the screen. Here we go. The story of humanity is the story of sin, and the story of God is the story of his rescuing grace. So the best place to start would be to talk about point number one. What is sin? Now here's the controversy. I'm going to go ahead and give you what, uh, a synopsis of what I think sin is. And then we're going to take a look at the controversy. So the controversy is right here. God says that our failure to conform to his character and his definition of right and wrong is sin. Sin is not merely an isolated act or thought, but it springs from an inherited, broken nature. Now, I'm not trying to blame your dad for this on Father's Day. Inher uh, this is inherited all the way back from the very first pair of human beings when they first sinned and humanity broke inside. And from that point forward, every one of us have a sin brokenness inside of us. Now, that's what God says. The world says, however, sin is a made-up religious idea designed to manipulate you with guilt. So I don't know if you've heard that and you heard the controversy or you get the feeling like from somebody or maybe you actually carry a little bit of that, that whole guilt talk and the whole guilt of sin. That's just the religious institution's way of guilting you into doing what? They want you to do so on and so forth. Now, personally, I don't think guilt works as a life change motivator. I really don't. I believe that God's rescuing grace is a huge life change motivator. So we're going to be talking about God's rescuing grace, and we'll address this controversy. Now, I believe sin is real. Now, I've come to believe sin is real out of two streams of thinking. One is experience. My experience is, every day there's some empirical evidence that sin is real in my life. Now, in my life, I've known God a long time. And so, uh, there's been a lot of good changes, and I'm moving in the right direction, and I am a work in progress, and you'd think that a preacher would have his act together. But the reality is, the more theology that I know, the more definition of God that I know, the more of his character that I know, there is stuff that comes up 
inside of me all the time. Even to the point where my little attorney inside, yes, did I just say that? My little attorney inside starts to defend me. It's like something comes up, my little, you just, such and so. And I said, what? It's not me. That was their fault. The little attorney is talking now. And said, that's not me. That's no big deal. And, and just inside, I want to react to all the little stuff, the little pride. Oh, that's a good name for my attorney. The pride goes, woo. And then I just talk me out of. So even if it's not, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anybody, it slips into my thinking, that's no big deal. Hmm. Really? We want to take a look at what is sin. Now we're going to go to a place right from the Ten Commandments, and we're going to look at one commandment that is a little bit oddball from the rest of them, and I think you'll discover it to be that way too, in that we think of God's commandments of this is inbounds, this is out of bounds, this is inbounds, this is out of bounds, this is a do and this is a don't, and here's a do and here's a don't, and it's usually behavior related. Check this one out. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, we don't use that word very much anymore, so let me just put it this way. Desire. You shall not desire what is not yours. You shall not desire your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Ooh, la, la. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his truck or his motorcycle or any... Okay, okay. Ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, here's the interesting thing about this law from God. No legislature would put this in their books. Why? You cannot measure or accuse somebody that's on the inside. Nothing has come out of the inside with this breaking of this law. If you begin to desire something and you've crossed the line of desire, it's all hidden and it's inside of you, unless you say so, right? But God is saying, before you did anything on the outside, you already crossed the line. Whoa. This is saying something about the nature of sin. It begins inside. I was talking about this with one of the staff, and we are each reading at two different places in a particular devotional guide. Here it is. Here's a quote from Paul Tripp's devotional guide, New Morning Mercies, and he said, you ought to check out December 11th. Why is reading December 11th? I don't know. Check out December 11th. Here's the quote. Sin is a matter of the heart that expresses itself in the behavior of the body. Your body physically goes where your heart has already gone. This is precisely why we need rescuing grace. We can run from a certain situation. We can run from a location. We can run from a relationship. But we have no ability whatsoever to escape our hearts. For that, we need rescuing grace. Now, here's the very next paragraph in the same devotional thought. Second, we tend to think of sin as the breaking of a set of abstract rules. But sin is much more than that. Sin is the breaking of a relationship that results in breaking God's rules. Remember, the Ten Commandments begin with a call to worship God above all else. You see, it is only when God is in his rightful place in my heart that I desire to live in a way that pleases him. So the Ten Commandments is talking about a heart answer right down to here's the heart answer problem. So we need God's 
rescuing grace as we address the sin problem. Where we're going next is point number two, common misbeliefs about sin. Common misbeliefs about sin. We're going kind of rapid fire, and here we are with 2 Timothy 4.3. It's a woo- woozy. It's a woozy of a verse. <laughs> Doozy. For the time will come, Paul says to his protege Timothy in his second letter, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Just think about that. I don't like sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own ears, their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. A number of months ago, this verse, the the line that I underlined is not what jumped out at me. The previous line jumped out at me. They will gather around them a great number of teachers. Paul wrote this so long ago. In that day, way back when, it wasn't that you gathered teachers around you. You, as crowds, gathered around a teacher and began to follow a teacher. But he's saying there will be a day when people will gather around them teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. We live in that day where we're listening to this on the internet, we're listening to that idea, we're reading this book and collecting this idea, and it's mix and match, gathering to ourselves what we like and believe about ourselves. And Paul warns us about that coming day. So we're looking at misunderstandings about sin. A, here's the first misunderstanding. I'm not a bad person. Now, what's interesting is I already written out the sermon, I already had these points, I already had my manuscript, and Wednesday I went to the doctor's routine appointment, and the reception area was a little bit noisy. They're saying, what's your name? And I said, my name is Jim Hammond. And she said, Goodman? I said, no, Hammond. But I am a Goodman. <laughs> and immediately my sound doctrine little buzzer went off, inside of me, you are not a good man. I'm hearing Jesus saying, who is good but God? You know, it's like, ah, it's just to lighten the mood. I, I am, a, and inside this going like this, you are Hammond. You're closer to ham than you are to good. Ham comes from pig. Good is derived from God. And all this is going on inside my head. I'm going, it's like, yeah. I'm not a bad person. Oh, I'm a ham person. All right, now, <clears throat> here's scripture. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 reads, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, by the way, that verse 9 there, if we confess our sins, it's not because of the confession that it works, it's because of what Jesus did that makes that work. He is faithful to what he promised in that he took our sins upon himself on the cross to purify us from our sins and take the punishment away and he's paying the punishment. But it requires an acceptance of that, a declaration of that, and admitting you need that remedy. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I made the numbers extra big on there on purpose because I'm going to point out some thoughts to those numbers. So verse 8, do you see it starts with a lie? A lie. If we claim we are without sin, there's a lie. 
We deceive ourselves. And if you believe a lie, you will live as if that's the truth. Now look at the truth in verse 9. If we confess our sins, now we're declaring the truth. We are a sinner. We're stating the truth. I am a sinner. This sin is sin. Please forgive me of this sin. Now you're declaring. I agree with your diagnosis. I need help. I'm disagreeing with my inner attorney that says, I'm not so bad. I'm disagreeing with my pride that says, everybody else is worse. No, God's saying, this is sin. Confess it, and then I will purify it. Verse 10 is the lie repeated. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be the liar. That means we're saying, you, God, are the liar. I'm good. He says, and my word and my declaration, what I spoke, my truth, is not inside of you. So we need to get a hold of this. It's important we do. Point B is another misunderstanding about sin. All sin is the same. This is a usual misunderstanding within the community of believers in forgiveness. And there's a side of this that's true, but we need to make sure we don't take this side and run with it too far and we come out with a really bad error. So let's start with the side that's true. Romans 6 says this, For the wages of sin is death. And here's the side that's true. Sin is a deadly infection. And it doesn't matter how far you're infected, it's deadly. A little bit of the deadliness is deadly. Once you are in that sin infection, which all of us are born in the sin infection, it's deadly. And the wages, what you deserve from this sin, is death. It's deadly. A separation from God who is holy and good. That's what we deserve. The grace side of the equation says, but oh, the gift of God is eternal life found in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you give yourself to him and you accept what he's done for you, you receive a remedy for this infection. He's the inoculation that heals that infection. So the true side of it is every sin, no matter how small, because it, it doesn't match the character of God, it disqualifies us from eternity with God in heaven by itself. It doesn't matter how bad or how not so bad. Sin is sin. But here's where we take it too far when we say all sin is the same. Taking a look at Jesus' words in a few places, here's Luke chapter 20, verse 45 to 47. Jesus says, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. He's not talking about legislators. He's talking about the law experts, the Bible experts in his day, religious experts in his day. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets, yet... They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished. Now, how fast did you read by this one when you read it last? Most severely. Jesus' words are saying not every sin is punished the same. Some sin is punished more severely, in this case, most severely. There's no excuse for this kind of sham. And this will be punished most severely. Not all sin is the same. 
Now, I think intuitively we kind of know that. I mean, let's just say that you're driving crazy in traffic. You, you weren't really paying attention. You pulled out in front of somebody. Literally, you hear a screech behind you, and then you look in your mirror, and you realize, this guy is mad. He's pulling up next to you, and it's, he's raging. And then he's shouting, red-faced veins popping, and he... Now, which is worse? Would you rather be flipped off or gunned off? Okay? Which sin is worse? Both are sin. But we recognize some sins are worse than other sins. There's greater danger, greater devastation. Sin can affect, your sin can affect me, hurt me. And some has greater consequence. Some sin can affect ourselves that we commit in a greater way. And we're going to get into some of that. Here's another spot where uh, John 19, Jesus kind of addresses differences in sin. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Now you need to place yourself at the trial scene with the Roman governor, Pilate, trying Jesus, trying to decide if he should be crucified. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? It just doesn't seem like Jesus cares about being released or justice being served. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Now, how do we ever settle on that idea that there's some sin that is greater in guilt than others? Jesus talks about that. There's an implication that on Judgment Day, there's varying degrees of judgment and varying degrees of sin and what takes place. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, this takes a turn as it relates to there's a danger of sin and for different judgment later, there's a danger of sin and varying degrees of sin for now. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. We could spend a lot of time talking about this, but here's what Paul is saying. Some sins have a greater consequence to you. Some sins, it's not enough to look for a way out or stand and resist the temptation. He says, with some sins, run! Run, flee from it, because in the moment you go into that sin, it will change you. And I don't think this is the only one that does that. Every sin has an addictive quality to it. Some are just more addictive and more body, mind, brain shaping than others. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin is addictive. Sin will call you to sin more. It'll ask you, it'll put hooks in you. It'll say you do it once, you're going to want to do it more. Here's the third Frequently misunderstood thought about sin. Since I've already done it, I might as well keep doing it. I mean, I might as well just pile it up, pile it up, pile it up, pile it up, then ask God for forgiveness later. Don't do it. 
It changes you. You may not ever want to ask later. Here's what Paul said in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? He said in language that is almost harder to say anything more blatantly strong. By no means. There were these believers that were misunderstanding and abusing the concept of forgiveness, misunderstanding and abusing the concept of grace. I'll just pile it up, pile it up, pile it up, and then ask for forgiveness, and then we're good. I just keep sinning, it's okay because I trust Jesus and he's going to forgive me and I go to heaven. As long as I ask Jesus for forgiveness, I'll just go to heaven, I'll just keep sinning, keep sinning, keep sinning. And he says, may again it all, may it never be. By no means think this way, he's saying. There's no way to say it as harshly, more harshly than that. Don't do it. Don't you know, he says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We could spend a lot of time here, but I want to flip it to a more positive way of looking at it. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, this gets the world so mad. It sounds arrogant. It sounds so narrow. It sounds so wrong to the world. But Jesus is saying, the only way out of your sin is me. The only way out of your sin problem is the truth. And the truth is what I'm bringing you. You'll never want to change or get out of it unless you receive life from me because life from me is more satisfying than what you're choosing right now. And he was willing to go to the cross to give you this way that will be the way out, to give you this truth that will be a truth that revolutionizes how you look at what is pleasure, how you look at what is good and what you desire and what real life is about. Jesus says, I am the answer for your sin problem. So to bring all of this around and together, we need to respond. The question is, which sin does your inner accusers, or not accuser, your inner attorney say, it's okay, it's no big deal, just carry on. What sin are you allowing to remain as if it doesn't matter? If it didn't matter, why would God the Father have his son die to take that away. And if he has done that, why do you hold on to it as if you want it to be alive and with you still? Here's a prayer. On the screen, we're going to finish with, it's an awkward prayer. I'm going to just read it once and kind of talk us through and then I'm going to have you read the white part with me and then there's a second, more, less awkward response to this side of it. Dear Lord Jesus, I have been making excuses. I have deceived myself, acting as if it doesn't matter, but it does matter. It matters to you. It matters to those around me. It matters to me. Now, uh, 
You're going to take a few moments to speak the next sentence inaudibly, just under your breath for whatever sin or sins that God's Spirit is prompting you to confess. I can't decide that for you. The Spirit of God is pointing out something, highlighting something right now in you. This is the hard part. I don't want you to just think it. I want you to mouth it so silently that nobody next to you can hear it, but get it out there. Confess it. There's something powerful in the confession. If you can't do it in here, find yourself a closet, someplace away from people, confess it before God. Say it out loud. Own it. Agree. Here's the diagnosis. It is deadly. I have it. Confess it. Okay? Now let's say the first part out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, with me now, I have been making excuses... I have deceived myself, acting as if it doesn't matter. But it does matter. It matters to you, it matters to those around me, and it matters to me. Now you might say the next sentence, filling in the blank. He might highlight more than one thing. Say it sentence in sentence. In a moment, we'll just wrap up to the next slide. You may need to finish this later, but start it now. Let's stand together. Some of you are here just because it's Father's Day and you came with your cute little daughter and she, she wanted her dad here and you're here and you're thinking, what have I done and what have I gotten myself into? Maybe you don't even believe in Jesus and here we are praying such a prayer. On the second slide, you might think, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. Do you know that there is something you can do? Jesus is a person and if you're not sure you believe in him, You can't make yourself believe in him, but you can interact with him. And if in the interaction you start to see that there's a reality here you never thought was real, now you have a basis to build trust. So I challenge you to consider interacting. We're going to read the next slide together as a prayer. Join me in the next slide. Here we go. Lord Jesus, you claim to be the way, the truth, and the life. I turn to you as the way out of sin, the truth that will set me free and the life that truly satisfies. I turn away from my sin and to you as my Savior. Thank you for forgiving my sins and washing me clean through your sacrifice for me. And thank you for giving me life through your resurrection. I come to you for a better way of life, for more truth, and for more life. And I ask for this in your name and authority. Amen. Amen? Hey, this is a prayer we can keep praying over and over again. It's something that we keep going to the source of rescuing grace because really the evidence of sin will not be completely eradicated, but to enter into life is an experience that you don't want to miss. And you want to keep going back to life, back to life, back to life, back to grace. So, so glad you could be here today. Next week, we're going to be on the next God Never Said That and it is the topic, it doesn't matter what you believe. And a lot of times we have, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you are sincere. And those kinds of qualifiers, we're going to address that from God's perspective because he never said that. Maybe you came with a heavy today. We've got a prayer team to the right of the stage. Just take advantage of this. Just say, I need prayer for this, and they'll be happy to pray for you. Even if you don't know how to word it, they'll be happy to pray with you, join you in that. One other thing. This has been a heavy and controversial and tough topic. I don't know how it hits you. 
but maybe something is stirring inside of you. You'd like to know more. If that's you, we've told you about Connect Life coming in a few weeks. This might be a great time while you're being stirred up to walk across the hall, put your name on the list and say, I want to learn more. This might be the time. See you next week. Have a great Father's Day. Thank you for coming.